BBCC episode 47, my realization of the day. We're kicking off a franchise that essentially has four versions of the same movie. There's a short film, there's the version we're chatting today, there's a redux sequel, and then there's a reboot goal as well. Are we sure this franchise started in the 1980s? Cause this sounds like some 2010s bullshit to me. Welcome back you beautiful bastards. Let's go ahead and start the show. Hello, hello. Did y'all miss me? It's been a while. It is your boy Devon Taylor here, aka underscore daddy disco on Twitter and Instagram. And this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. This is a horror movie franchise where we dive into the genre of horror and we dig a little bit deeper going into subgenres and franchises. And I have been on hiatus for a hot minute, um, a lot longer than I anticipated. But, you know, life happens, you know, between work and stuff and then other life changes. I moved, uh, all sorts of random things, and I just kind of got buried under a bunch of uh, editing that I was avoiding and stress and just all sorts of things. But it's all good because I'm back just in time for spooky season. We are, it is October, I'm super excited and we are going to be not covering a subgenre this month, but we'll be covering a franchise. And in retrospect, it's not really much of a Halloween-y uh, type of franchise per se, but it had four movies and it kind of fits into the month perfectly. And I also love this franchise. It's a, it's a really fun one. And uh, I got some other goodies, um, some bonus episodes that will kind of uh, get into some more like you know Halloweeny stuff. But we are going to kick off October talking the Evil Dead franchise. I am super excited uh, to get that going. So we're gonna be doing the Evil Dead franchise for here in October, and then next month um, in November will be whenever I release all of the um, what I'm calling lost episodes. Uh, these are episodes that I was recording while on hiatus because I thought maybe that would motivate me to catch up on my editing and then like get back on track. I was like, oh, if I just keep recording, I'll eventually start editing again and then I'll get going. And uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> it just stressed me out more because then I had all these episodes and the the months became off. So it's like I still have some episodes from the In Nature series um, back in March, whenever that was. Um, and then I did Queer Horror Month, um, which obviously that's past. But hey, here on Boy Blunt Cinema Club, it's always queer horror. And then also we started, oh, and then we also did the Final Destination franchise uh, in the month of May because that was my birthday month. Um, did that and then also did not come out. So it's like I got that um, and the 50th episode that we recorded um, was also recorded during this hiatus. And then there's also going to be a 50th episode at the end of this month. So shit's going to get weird in November. So November will be all the lost episodes will come out. December we'll talk some holiday horror, and then January will kick off like a new season of Blade Blunt Cinema Club. I'm gonna be making some tweaks to the format of the show. I might be bringing in a co-host. Who knows? Um, there's gonna be some changes in 2022, but um, that's where we're at right now. I think uh, that's enough catching you guys up and uh with all the boring stuff because i do have a guest waiting for me who is a bruce campbell fanatic so i think they were the perfect choice to kick off this franchise welcome to the show emily wolf hi there thanks so much for having me i'm really excited about this i am a bruce campbell fanatic 
That's what I saw going back through your Twitter because we we have we hadn't uh, been following each other. We've never really interacted too much on Twitter, um, which I love. I love get it. That's what part of the reason I love doing this podcast, getting to meet new people and interact and uh, have some fun conversation. But I was going through your tweet and I was like, okay, I see all the the Bruce Campbell stuff. Uh, Bruce Campbell's birthday was not too long ago, so um, I, this is still apt to talk this franchise. It's true. I uh, I actually have uh, the shirt off of Bruce Campbell's back. Um, the friend of mine and I went to see, I think it was Man with the Screaming Brain, and mm-hmm. he was doing the intro for it. And we had gone out and bought a Tommy Bahama Hawaiian shirt to trade for the shirt off his back. And he did indeed give us the shirt off of his back in exchange for the shirt that we had bought him. That's amazing. That's that sounds like I mean, I don't know the guy, but this sounds like a very typical Bruce Campbell type of story. Um, And I absolutely love that. (laughs) It is. He's very well known for wearing like sporting those great Hawaiian shirts. So that's that's something that I really love about him. I'm a big fan of Hawaiian shirts. I'm a queer woman, so I always love me some Hawaiian shirts. Queer as a three dollar bill, as you put in your in your Twitter bio. Uh, yes, which as my be- grandmother would say, queer is a three dollar bill. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that's so funny. Where Where are you from? Because that sounds like something I would hear in the Midwest. But where are you from? I'm initially fr- uh, originally from Tallahassee, Florida. Hmm. So it's Florida, but it's it, I grew up like 15 minutes away from Georgia. So it's still okay. very much like the South. It's that's mm-hmm. something that, you, that I definitely heard growing up in the South a few times. Yeah, definitely uh, one of those uh, great Southern idioms. Um, and yeah, you're, you're and you're just barely in Florida. So it's like you you can almost like not even claim it when Florida starts doing all that cra- all their crazy stuff. And you're like, <laughs> wait, what? No, I'm only I'm barely in Florida. That's not that's not me. <laughs> it's true i was thinking i've been thinking about maybe moving to connecticut and i've had people be like oh god connecticut why and i'm like listen i'm from florida so it's only up from here <laughs> yeah i hear connecticut has great weather so so fuck them for shitting on connecticut <laughs> um and the other question i want to ask you uh you know i was investigating your twitter but then uh before we started you know you had your joint prepared so um, my question was going to be, do you watch movies while high? And what, do, what uh, does that do for you? All the time. I love watching movies while high. Uh, and it, it kind of depends. It'll always depend on the mood. Sometimes uh, being stoned will kind of monopolize some of my attention. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it'll allow me to just like really sink into the story and like get really invested in it. So... It very much depends on my mood, but uh, I probably probably smoke a little more than I should. So most of the time when I am watching movies, I am high. There is no such thing as more than you should. I mean, I smoke on the <laughs> daily as, you know, not only form of you know relaxation and everything, but, you know, as a medicine as well for anxiety and other things like that. But it, I'm, I'm the exact same way. I remember whenever I wasn't smoking as much. Then it was like kind of more like, ooh, what's the occasion to get high and go see this movie, you know? Um, but now it's just, yeah, I'm literally always high. And so I'm always watching the movies high. But like you said, like, I feel like it allows me to like kind of just like sink into it a little bit more. Like, I like, cause it, like while I'm high, I'm not gonna be like looking at my phone if I'm at home watching a movie or something. Or I'm, you know, I'm very much gonna be like kind of focused in. But then what changes is, okay, how high do I get? And do I, and do I like, oh, do I want to load up on a bunch of edibles because I'm going to go see a crazy action movie in theaters, you know? So it's like, that's the, the difference now. It's just how high and, and how, how am I getting high? There we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, like the cartridges with the oil that you can just carry around. Pens have changed the game at the movie theaters now. Like, oh, oh, yes, yes. Like, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm in the bathroom taking puffs, and then if I, if I need, if I'm in the back row, I'm puffing into my shirt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely, uh, I've definitely done the bathroom run. Um, these days in New York, you know, you can just walk up to the movie theater smoking a joint and nobody's really going to say anything it's been decriminalized which is great but I still kind of prefer to 
you know, I'm I'm old. I remember, you know, trying to be on the down low. It's yeah, like, the, you know, don't want anybody to know that I'm getting high over here. Yeah, the the rush. So, the rush and getting sneaky like it, you know it's still it's still it's all part of the experience <laughs> it's true i'm so happy for the kids today that they have like the the vapes and the cartridges and everything because back in my day it was not so easy back back when i was growing up or right in, in the early 20s oh god i'm revealing the age now <laughs> No, I mean, I'm I'm one of the people, I'm like, I was like right on the cusp of, you know, all these different things. So it was like, and I didn't even start smoking. I didn't start smoking weed till I was 20. I was a, a late bloomer, if you will. <laughs> I definitely smoked a bit in high school, but it wasn't until I was 18 that I started like smoking more regularly on and off, I guess. And yeah. It's a it's a it's a lifestyle and so is the spooky lifestyle. You're a big horror fan. Um, so, and, and like I said a little bit in the intro, like the Evil Dead franchise isn't quite per se, like a Halloween, like type of watch. So what is your go-to, um, Halloween spooky season watch? Like one of the ones you have to watch every year. I always try to get like a Michael Myers movie and, Mm -hmm. uh, usually it's the original, but I'm also a big fan of H2O. So sometimes it'll be that. Uh, every now and again, I'll do like a more serious, like sit down and watch a chunk of those. But uh, when it comes down to like the thing that I do every single October, I do a Candyman countdown. Yes. Uh, I start with Candyman Day of the Dead, then I go to Farewell to the Flesh, Ooh, and then I go that's to an, the original. That's an interesting strategy. I kind of like that. So that way you build back up to the good. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I like to end on like the high note and it's exciting because this year I'm going to be able to add another movie to that. I'll, I guess I'll be starting with Nia DaCosta's Candyman and then working my way from there to the first one this year. Yeah, you got a, you got another one in there. I just rewatched the, the sequels before, um, before the newer one just came out. So I did like a whole, whole watch through and Candyman's another one of mine too. That's usually at, towards the beginning um, for a few years, it was always my first whenever I would do like my 31 days of horror like, you know, list. And I think like three years in a row I had Candyman starting on October 1st. Did not watch it uh, uh, October 1st for this one, but it is another one of mine that it's a good a good uh, mood setter uh, for for Halloween. And and I'm lucky I get to share a few of these because I'm going to have to do this for every episode. So you get, um so for one of my go-to Halloween cuz I do have like there's like 5 of them that I make sure I watch like every year. And um the one that I will shout out for this is uh Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow cuz I think Ooh. that is okay. like like that's like lighting a candle for October, you know? Like I mean it has especially literally the opening credits of it is so October spooky season like after the opening kill, we get blood splattered on a pumpkin. How is that not an introduction to October? And then we just get, you know, the leaves and the, it's grim and we, you know, and like just um, it's like the, the movie is really great. And it's like and I love saving it for October because every time I rewatch, it, I go, man, this is so much better than it gets credit for. And I remember like. But the atmosphere is just, it's so thick in the, 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 the gothic atmosphere. But then we also, it just feels very fall. We're in, you know, the Northeast. And um, it's just, it's just a really great movie. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on uh, story-wise and stuff. But like, every time I rewatch, I'm like, man, Johnny Depp is really good in this movie. And nobody really talks about that. I'm like, Christopher Walken is just doing, they, Tim Burton got Christopher Walken on a movie to not talk when a man with one of the most recognizable voices he got him just to be creepy and i just respect that sleepy hollow is a great october kickoff movie it's true and it is a beautiful use of christopher walken like isn't that that that's what just always it's like you you're expecting him to be like oh wow i'm the headless horseman but we don't (laughs) get that that was terrible (laughs) jesus i was like do i go for it and i was like all right no that was bad I was gonna try, but I, I, I'm just going to embarrass myself. 
Well, I mean, everybody has a Christopher Walken impression, so it's like, I feel like it's one of those ones there is like a slight pressure, like, oh, how's my Walken today? <laughs> you know, you know, I'm just a headless horse. Oh, God, that's terrible. Oh, yours was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yours yours was better than mine. Or I'll, I'll ask, a, I'll put that on a poll on Twitter. I'm like, whose Walken was better or worse? Either way, you want to look at it. <laughs> You know, has anyone seen my head? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. But um, I would say we are nice and uh, warmed up to get into the movie that we are talking about for today's episode. So, uh, Willem Dafoe, it's been a minute. The Evil Dead, released in 1981, written and directed by Sam Raimi, his first film out of college. Um, This was originally um, produced off of a short film called Within the Woods that they used as a proof of concept to raise the money. It was also um, alternatively titled Book of the Dead. And um, this movie is, um, you know, pretty seminal, I'd say, in when it comes to... um, We'll, we'll get into it with the subgenre stuff because deadites are not zombies, but this is kind of still in the zombie uh, subgenre umbrella. We'll get into the subgenre stuff in a minute. But um, this movie kicked off a franchise that it had an original trilogy, and then we had the 2013 uh, reboot goal. I hate that word, but that is exactly what it is. Um, and, you know, this movie at least to me, is interesting because I think when most people think of the trademarks of the Evil Dead franchise, they're usually thinking of Evil Dead 2 most of the time, you know, um, the mix of horror and comedy, Bruce Campbell's charisma, the manic tone, a lot more of that is more prevalent in this in 2 and in Army of Darkness. Um, and not not to take anything away from the Evil Dead, because what it does do is, um, you know, I'll get into my personal feeling about this film a little bit here in a minute. But um, when you do look at this movie um, and the behind the scenes stuff, this is a movie that is, you know, inspired a lot of filmmakers uh, for this, you know, for cheap guerrilla filmmaking. And, you know, just like showing like when you have passion and you have a great crew behind you and you have uh, people that are on board to make it happen that anybody can make a film. And like that was inspiring. Raimi was only 20 when he made this movie. So I think that is, um, maybe even more its lasting impact on the horror genre than it as a film itself. But that's just, uh, the tip of the iceberg. Emily, how do you feel about the, um, first movie in the Evil Dead franchise? I love it. It's very near and dear to my heart. Um, I I love all three movies of the original trilogy like so very much. Um, and it's hard to really pick a favorite. Uh, there's so many great things about each of them. Um, but the first one, there's something so special about it because, you know, it, it started this whole like amazing trilogy the um like the like you were saying the kind of it wasn't i don't want to say amateur but um that like there's freshness yeah i mean there's an endearingness to it that like again it like looks like anybody could have made this movie in 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 not i mean that's on a surface level because there is some really great you know filmmaking on display here there's the seeds you know that were planted for the franchise and of course, it, it launched the careers of some of my favorite people in the industry, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, Rob Toppert. Because uh, I'm, I'm also, I'm a big like Xena fan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just like watching the original Evil Dead film and kind of knowing where it's going from there mm-hmm. is just, just such an exciting thing. And then kind yeah. of seeing like Sam Raimi's style that that he became so famous for sort of budding and like really coming into its own there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely just like all the seeds are there. This was um something a little bit differently cuz this was in the early 80s. This was in 81, so cuz I I tend to kind of look at 80s horror as a bit of a safe uh decade. Not that that's always a bad thing. There's so many great horror movies that came out of the 80s, but this is a very kind of safe 
after they kind of winded down from a little bit of the weirdness of the 70s, and then this is before ramping back up on cocaine in the 90s, the 80s is kind of a safe decade, but this still, this kind of feels more like a late 70s movie, um, almost in a exploitation kind of style, and just like the amounts of violence and gore that we get like in the third act. Um, but this is, it's not my favorite of the franchise, I'll say that. I will not say which yet. Um, because we do have a whole month to get through, but this is not my favorite of the franchise. Uh, however, uh, like you said, it's just like knowing what Sam Raimi is going to do and kind of seeing some of that stuff. And like the fact that this movie, you know, not only kicked off the franchise, it's kind of, you know, what um, people think of when they think of, you know, Cabin in the Woods style horror. Like, you know, he's kind of got his own like subgenre. He's got his own style, like, uh, you know, the the a lot of the frantic camera movements and stuff like all that stuff and, you know, um, the distinct, like, editing, um, like, style behind it. We, we see it in this film as well. And that's, you know, again, something that we now know is, like, just Sam Raimi-isms. And a lot of that did come from this movie. I also, I think I have a bit of a different view of the original than a lot of people. A lot of people think of the original as being, like, you know, it was the one that was straight-up horror. And it is, like, comparatively to Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, like, very much, you know, horror centric as opposed to like bringing more humor into it. But I think uh, what I feel tends to be overlooked is is the humor of the first one, because um, some of it, you know, was intentional. I know some of it they they weren't really expecting some of the laughs they got at some of the early screenings, um, but. You know, up until that point, they had done all of these, like a lot of Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, Rob Tappert had been making these Super 8 movies, and almost all of them were comedic. And I feel like whether it was intentional or not, like that's something that's very uh, innate to some of what Sam Raimi does. Mm-hmm. And so it comes through, like, you know, they're, they're so inspired by the Three Stooges, for instance. And there's a whole sequence in the movie where it's an homage to the Three Stooges, uh, mm-hmm. a plumbing we will go when the, uh, like, light bulb fills up with blood and you see the blood, like, coming out mm-hmm. of the light sockets and stuff. And I think that really shines through and makes the movie so special, yeah, like, uh, yes, it's definitely, like, because, like, that's, like, kind of the turning point, and, like, whenever, you know, once we are just alone with Ash at the end of the movie, and him dealing with, like, you know, we have a deadite, but then now the house is, like, coming down, and, like, all that stuff, like, that's when it was, like, we you really see, like, oh, okay, like, it, because, yeah, it's definitely, they're just not as prevalent in, uh you know, as in 2 or Army of Darkness, and, um, and we'll we'll talk more about uh, Bruce Campbell and Ashley Williams, uh, particularly this version compared to the the version that we know in our mind a little bit more. Um, I'm I'm gonna slightly roast your boy Bruce a little bit a little later, <laughs> but I'll save that I'll save that for a minute. Um, and because I remember in in like as far as like the tone stuff, because I remember watching it in college for the first time like I was a little bit late to the game watching this I was like 18 or 19 uh I think I was 18 when I watched this for the first time a little bit late to the game I remember watching it and I was like I was like you know kind of confused I was like or not confused but I was just like "Mm," I was like what's this movie want like I was like you know like either if you're gonna lean into comedy let's get more comedy but I feel like we're not but then like as a straight up horror like it does work but it's not as tense as I'd like it either in the first half at least so I was just kind of like I don't know what this movie wants from me um but this was before I did come to appreciate you know um you know true elements of camp horror and um and again like kind of what was going to come a little bit later but then you know I did kind of remember it a little bit goofier uh I I thought it was goofier the first time I watched it but then um a little bit on more rewatches, I was like, oh no, like the, until like literally the last 20 minutes, like this is pretty straight up, like, you know, like not, not serious, but like, it's pretty straightforward for the most part with just like the, the normal amount of just like sprinkled in humor versus like not being like as goofy as I remembered it, like this one. 
Uh, yeah, I think, um, I just think it's a really, uh, it's hard for me to talk about like just one of the films because I think mm-hmm. of it, I think of the Evil Dead as a trilogy. Yes. Um, oh, yes. And it's also one of those things, um, I was talking about my Candyman countdown, uh, Evil Dead watched backwards is a really nice way to like, trick a non-horror fan into like coming to appreciate <laughs> not That's just the evil dead but like the horror genre in general i've got i've had a couple of friends that i'm just like here try army of darkness like i know you like comedy just try to try this army of darkness and like that'll hook them and then i'm just like oh you got to see the one before that try try a little evil dead too and like by the time i get them to just evil dead like they're already invested like they love ash they want to see where it started and like Mm -hmm. i've kind of sneakily gotten some of my um comedy friends more into horror through interesting. the reverse viewing of the evil dead trilogy interesting i think i'm gonna have to start employing this tactic like i feel like this could work for like the first trilogy of the hellraiser movies or or like your poster in your room the reanimator series as well i think uh this tactic would work well for those franchises too <laughs> It's good. It's weird. I don't know why I'm so into like watching trilogies backward, but I I just it's interesting. I very much enjoy it. I I enjoy it. I'm gonna have to like I said like because just like I'm a, a you know because of the nature of the show like I'm you know fascinated with the way that franchises work. Like you said, like you know whenever you're uh, especially certain ones that are so integral to where all the films are integral to each other. There's some franchises like where it's kind of, you know, like I mentioned the Hellraiser franchise. After the third, then they just, like, kind of become, like, all these different standalone movies just in the same one. And I'd say Friday the 13th yeah. is kind of in that camp, too. They're not uh, very integral to each other versus something like, um, you know, we covered the Paranormal Activity franchise, and, like, that weaves in and out, you know, six movies, and that's why I appreciate Saw for being able to do it with the amount of movies that it does with its continued continuity and this one is uh very um loosey-goosey to put it uh lightly when it comes to continuity um and you know we'll probably talk more about that in next episode when we do the evil dead 2 um but before we get into some other things that we like really love about this film just a few fun facts about it that uh, you know you can find because again this is one of those movies that just has like really great behind the scenes stories and stuff like that so, some fun facts I found. The cabin, the titular cabin in this movie, um, the has a very kind of dark past. the The guy that built it died a week after he finished it, and then, like later on, a mom, grandma, and daughter moved into this cabin. And then, like one night, mysteriously, mom and grandma die, and it just had. And then it also was very prone to lightning strikes because of the location. Um, which uh, a lightning strike destroyed the cabin a week after the film was finished. Um, and so it's like the, the cabin itself already has this uh, sinisterness to it um, that's kind of enhanced throughout the movie. Um, Bruce Campbell used some of his family's property as collateral to uh, help get additional funds. Um, Bruce Campbell is a co-producer on the film. Um, and if it wasn't for Bruce Campbell, they wouldn't have been able to get the 35 millimeter transfer for theatrical releases. And then speaking of saving the movie, Mr. Uh, Stephen King um, wrote a review for this movie following Cannes. He was a big fan of it. And so they used Stephen King's review in the marketing to get more people into the theater. Um, but then um, also it really helped secure the uh, distribution so that way people could find it afterwards and it becomes this uh this cult classic film and um and again like when it came to the guerrilla filmmaking and stuff like all these um camera movements you know kind of came out of necessity because they didn't have the proper like rigs and equipment for the, for their camera or um you know as like a prop they didn't even have a proper dolly so it's like they had to do stuff like running through the forest with the camera stretched uh, strapped to a two by four to kind of get the motion or putting um, the camera on a bike and having Sam Raimi ride it through uh, the house at the end of the film to get that camera motion. And um, they had like rigs to um, 
to like for when the camera smashes through the windows to like protect the camera but then also get these like things so all these kind of stuff kind of came out of necessity but then also were just like kind of integrated into Sam Raimi's style uh, throughout the rest of his career and I just find that like as a as a you know um um what what's the why am I look forgetting the word for I, I'm not a filmmaker yet but I want to be whatever but that word um, for, for me as someone that wants to be a filmmaker, um, story inspiring. I- inspiring. Why the hell could I, <laughs> why could I not find aspiring? I was like, this is killing me. But, uh, yeah, as an aspiring filmmaker, um, I kind of watched this movie. I'm like, okay, like, you know, if I'm doubting myself, I'm like, no, like I can do this. Like, you know, I can come up with stuff like this and like, that's exciting. You know, when you watch this film. Yeah. Those shots, uh, like the, Thing with the two by four which he calls the shaky cam um mm-hmm. like those those like evil pov shots are just just possibly my favorite thing about the movie like i just love those so much from the very beginning which was like uh sam raimi i think was on a raft being pushed yeah yeah um, and he was like holding the camera off the side to like get just above the water like those shots are so amazing and you can tell uh he had like he had he had a very specific vision and like you know kind of worked from there to like figure out how to get those shots and like Mm -hmm. some of some of the stuff that he used uh one was like um he didn't have a dolly so he had um a camera rigged up on a two by four um on like a block of wood and underneath was like all this Vaseline. Yeah, the Vaseline. And he would cam. just like slide the camera back and forth using Vaseline underneath the block that it was on. And it's just so innovative. And you can tell mm-hmm. like he had this vision. Um, and I know like some of the actors complained that, you know, he wasn't a big fan of establishing shots. So it was very difficult for the actors to kind of get, but like he knew what he wanted. He mm-hmm. had that in his head. And you can really tell, especially like some of the trickier shots that like, it was like all up there. And I know he like did storyboards and stuff that apparently were nonsensical to anybody else. Um, But, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's really cool because you, you do see it like there's, you know, it's almost like the movie, you know, there's at times where it's like, Sam Raimi's like you know his talent and style is trying to burst through so bad but they just like again like don't have the funds or the proper equipment to like properly get it out but it's just like he's gonna get as close to it as possible but then it's like you'll see like just like there's certain flashes of just like a shot that'll just be like framed and lit just like super well and well choreographed and you're like oh my gosh like that's like brilliant but then there's also at times, for me at least, that this movie kind of gets a little just like meandering. It feels kind of stale at times. But then you get that moment, you get that, you know, a, a shot of a light bulb filling up with blood and blood coming out of the sockets. And then you're like, oh, wow. Like, OK, this this guy, he, he's got it like he's, he's got something behind him. So um, I really do appreciate that. Um want to shout out the score by uh, Joseph LaDuca, who um, we mentioned on the podcast at the very beginning of the podcast. Um, he would do a couple of the Chucky movies. Um, uh, he would do Curse and uh, Cult of Chucky, but then he did the score for the rest of uh, the trilogy as well. Um, and I absolutely love the, the score in the way that he'll, he'll like have like a big old build up and then it just like will will just like end like a few seconds earlier than you expect it to and it's just like kind of abrupt and you're like uh like okay like that's interesting um and it would just like kind of have a moment of silence for a sec and then it would just go to the next scene um so uh shout out to him on this score and there's great sound design throughout this as well with the the mixing of the low voices um which uh sam raimi recorded himself and um and it's just there's there's so many uh cool little um other things that they do to like kind of make up for the lack of some of the other things that they couldn't do yeah and i know when they um went down to tennessee they only had i think eighty five thousand dollars 
which was just a fraction of the money that they knew that they needed. But they went down there, um, again, I think it was 85000 hmm. and just started doing what they could. And it was, I mean, you hear them talk about it. It sounds like such a hellish experience, but almost everybody involved kind of has, like, they talk about it very nostalgically. Like, it's oh, something yeah. that they're very glad to have been a part of, uh, despite the fact that I, like, I think... <laughs> Half of them like got so tired at one point, like they were passing out. Uh, yeah. People were getting injured. Everybody was frozen. It was like the coldest winter in Tennessee, mm-hmm. which is why they were at in Tennessee. They thought that it would be a bit warmer, and it turned out to be like the warmest winter in Detroit, where they were all from. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah, it is one of those things that it's like you know it sounded a little bit rough. They didn't always have like you know the the proper medical staff. Um, uh, someone got their eyelash ripped off by accident, um, and then Bruce Campbell like sprained his ankle, and then like uh, Sam Raimi would like kind of tease him with it to like kind of agitate him more and stuff, you know. Which they are, you know, very close friends, so it's like you can kind of get away with something like that. But um, but at the same time, it's like you know, it was a you know rough you know filmmaking experience. But at the same time, it like you know, it's one of the ones that everybody was you know in on. They believed in the project. Um, and, you know, built a camaraderie out of it. Um, so I want to get into some of the subgenre elements. Uh, we have a segment here on the show called the Subgenre Grinder. This is, um, we obviously are talking the horror genre, but we like to uh, grind it up, dig a little bit deeper so we can fully appreciate this film. Um, I mentioned this movie kind of pioneering the Cabin in the Woods um, horror subgenre. Not that they didn't exist before 81, but I would say one that was popularized by Sam Raimi. Um, I, I did mention that this would kind of be in the zombie corner a little bit, even though Deadites are not zombies. They are specifically Deadites, but um, still kind of in that corner. And then we do have, you know, just... Um, uh, there, there's a smidge of camp horror in this one. We, we get more later, but we do get little flashes of it. What are some subgenre elements that stand out to you? Um... I mean, I would definitely say, I mean, the the whole like gore kind of body horror that comes along with the Kandarian demons and uh, like one of one of the like more striking moments is uh, when um, Shelly chews off her own hand while it's Mm -hmm. holding the dagger like that sticks with me as just something very like very much is like part of the body horror and that was actually something that was initially in the the short film that they had made bruce campbell was the one who chewed off his own hand and within the Mm. woods so i would definitely say yeah the gory gore subgenre body horror like you said earlier it definitely kind of fits in with exploitation oh yeah 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 there's definitely Um, um the i i don't know how i forgot to mention body horror but of course there's some really great body horror in this, and I'm a bit. That's one of one of my favorite subgenres, and um, and it's funny, like you know, watching this because like you can the the effects aren't always the best. Sometimes you you can see the edge on the the mask or on the the glove on their hand, you know. But at the same time, it's like you can forgive those things when like the way that um the the stabbing of the ankle looks so good in this. So, uh, great body horror. And one of the things I really appreciate about Evil Dead, I really like the particular kind of gore that comes up because it's not necessarily, it's not always trying to look realistic. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you don't just have blood and brain matter. You know, there's green goo. There's like Mm -hmm. black stuff coming out. At one point, there's fucking oatmeal. Like, and... (laughs) And it just like I just love the aesthetics of it. And yes, I'm a I'm a big texture person when it comes to horror. Um, you know, if I can if I can feel like I can feel it while watching it, or if I get like a a, a whiff of stench, you know, while watching it, I'm like, you know, that's that's when you know it's good. And it, um, this this movie and the franchise in general, you know, is kind of in this uh, splatter horror uh, category. Uh, want to shout that out because Horror Queers is doing their uh, spooky season watch calendar and Blade Blunt Cinema has a 
a uh, square on there for Splatter. Um, I think it's on October 10th. And um, because obviously bloody is in the title of this, I love blood. It's one of my favorite things. I love gratuitous amounts, unnatural amounts. Um, and it just, I don't know, because it's partly because of the iconography of blood when it just comes to horror. You know, like if you really boil horror down, like blood's going to be somewhere in like the top like five or seven of like things you think about um, just because and the iconography and it's like I love it when it's like it almost looks like it's a like it it becomes art to me like whenever it's just like ooh look how how much of it and the splatter and like the the color and texture of it did they mix in some some oatmeal or grits in there to like give it some extra stuff like yeah like give me give me give me the goods as far as um when it comes to um texture but then I will talk more about my love for blood in you know, later uh, entries of this franchise. One of my favorite moments is uh, when Ash takes his thumbs and pokes <laughs> Scott's eyes out. Yeah. And the the substance that comes down, like it's blood, but it's a particularly thick blood mm-hmm. that comes out of his eyes. And there's just something so visceral about the fact that for for whatever reason, the fact that it's thicker makes you feel like, kind of like think that it's blood mixed with eye goop. And like, it mm-hmm. just, I really love that. I really love the way they play with like different, different textures and stuff like you were saying. Like at one point I remember there's just like, some kind of like green slime on I think it's Shelly's mouth or mm-hmm. no no Cheryl's mouth and it's it's just so weird oh, yeah. and I mean Scott's deadite starts oozing like white stuff out of his face and like and I, and I forget about the whole I forget about the whole stop motion sequence at the end of the film too I always kind of forget about it and like even the texture and that that they do just like when they're showing um, the dismembered parts of the deadites and stuff like and it has a whole different look than like the special effects makeup had but then it it just like it's a, it gives a whole different texture to it but um, I, I'm a sucker for people getting just like blood splattered in their face like I'm a sucker for that like oh man like you know now their face is red did it get in their mouth like just like I'm, I'm a sucker for that in a film so I and we get more of that a little bit later but um, I or really, it's kind of a trademark of the franchise. I would say someone just getting blood or viscera just like spouted in their face in some fashion happens in every single film in the franchise. Yeah, I also there was a lot of milk spewing in the first one. Um, like a lot of them end up spewing milk, and it looks so gross, and it's just not something that you would necessarily expect mm-hmm. uh, in the moment. But it's still just like, oh, ugh. Yeah, I I would say that I would say that has to be an alien shout out from Raimi, uh, because every time I think of yeah. spewing milk, I think of um that scene in uh, Alien. But um, so uh, as far as uh, let's talk about Mr. Groovy Bruce here. Um, you know this did help launch his career, and he um is you know kind of made a career out of you know these smaller role uh smaller films. Um, you know, a lot of B movies to a degree, but you know, he just has this, you know, undeniable charm and charisma to him. Like, you know, him when you see him, you know, Bruce Campbell's voice, you know, the chin, you know, the eyebrows. And it's interesting because again, the, the version of Ash that people are familiar with, like, you know, is more Evil Dead 2 Ash and uh, Army of Darkness Ash and eventually Ash versus the Evil Dead. Like, that's like the version this version is so different because like really his character is written kind of interestingly. Cause like he's kind of written, like you think he's more the side guy. You think Scott's going to be the, the final guy of the movie. Um, you know, he's the one that's actually like, you know, he's putting people in cellars. He's chopping people up with axes. He's kicking deadites in the face. And you think this is our guy. Um, and because a lot of the times Ash is just like kind of standing there. He, he freezes a lot. Like that's a thing he does in this movie. He freezes like three times. He'll have a weapon in his hand and everything. And he just like stands there doe eyed, you know? So it's like, this is a very different Ash until he is forced to step up when he's the only character in the movie, uh, towards the end of this film. And that's when we get the, the, the glimpse of the, the true Ash that we're really going to see later. 
Yeah, Ash is kind of a weenie in the first one. He's a um, he's a big weenie. He really is. <laughs> and even even like once you get later into the movie, like he is kind of forced into this. And even then, he's still not like like Scott was very you know a man of action. He was like ready to take charge while also being just a massive dick. Uh, which I also appreciate about Scott. Scott was yeah. such a fucking dick. He's not a very likable protagonist, but for the first half, he is this very interesting protagonist. And the scene that, like, where Ash is, like, just, like, the biggest bitch is when, I mean, obviously it's when, um, you know, his sister has turned into a deadite and he doesn't want to, you know, execute her and he's getting his mind played with and he just cannot get himself to shoot her in the face so instead he goes, ah, no, I'm, I just got a barrier instead. And then he, you know, and he like has this real dramatic pause. He's just like there and he goes, ah, and then just starts digging a hole instead. I'm like, ah, such a bitch move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The scene with the chainsaw, like there is a chainsaw in the movie, but he does not use it. Yeah. Like he goes, he goes to cut up his girlfriend and it's just like, he sees the ugly fucking necklace and it's just like, oh, oh, I love this woman. I can't cut her up. He eventually decapitates her. But even then it's, it's a very like defensive kind of wildly swinging the shovel. Mm hmm. Oh yes, I said uh, I said sister. I meant I meant Linda, his uh, girlfriend, yeah. not his sister. But um, but yeah, it's uh, he, he, you know. But again, like once we are alone with Ash, and then you know the the house starts fucking with him, and once the trippy stuff gar- starts going, and then we get to see, you know, we get to see the maniacal uh, Bruce Campbell start coming out, and then. You know, and and people, and obviously it's like when they did Evil Dead Two, they they realized like no, pe- like people gravitated towards this, like you know, like let's really unleash Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead Two, you know. But uh, in this film, it it is very interesting to kind of see a very different version of than we're used to, um, and then like kind of just like the way you remember it. But also, I think it's kind of just an interesting way to uh, write the protagonists of the film, you know, kind of subverting it. Uh, doing one thing and then kind of I, I like movies where uh, we shift protagonists into like someone else and it's like they do that in the remake as well just in a whole different fashion you know in a whole different way but uh, I really appreciate movies that um, you know can have the confidence to like make a mid-game switch up like that you know yeah and despite the fact that like it's more of an evil dead 2 thing that like you think of but like Bruce's uh physical comedy does still come out in the first like you still get bruce campbell like flinging himself around the cabin mm-hmm. he has a lot of things fall on him that's like most mm-hmm. of what ash does yep. for like a good chunk of the movies just have shit fall on him he's basically kick ass before kick ass because his his superpower is just get, taking it like <laughs> he doesn't do anything yeah. exceptionally well really and really throughout the franchise he doesn't but he's real good at just like getting his ass kicked and keep on going and he he really does like i like the difference when you compare like the first movie and the second movie like in the first movie he's still flinging himself around the cabin in the second movie he's flinging himself around the cabin in a more deliberate way yes like <laughs> as a hero does <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's so funny because, again, it's a really interesting uh, subversion on, like, the archetype because, like, Bruce Campbell still looks like the typical hero that would just do all sorts of ass-kicking, not take any damage. Like, he very much looks like that guy, but then he's this just bumbling guy, this little bumbling fool as well, and and I, I love it. Like, as, like, there's a reason that Ash is... You know, like, not only is this franchise just very iconic, like, he is a very iconic, you know, character throughout horror, and, like, there's, you know, there's so many great reasons why, but, um, you know, again, it's like, I love that we get the, the glimpses of it in this one of, you know, of what's to come, and, like, you can get excited when you rewatch this, and you, and you see that. Um, so what would be, um, what, what, what is your favorite sequence of this film? It's really hard to choose just one, but I would have to say probably the meltdown at the end, like when when Cheryl and Scotty are both 
like decomposing and then the hands come through and mm-hmm. and that's when like the stop motion comes in and um that's when the oatmeal comes in and they've got the hissing cockroaches and that was probably yeah that I, I just really like when things just go completely fucking off the rails and i really also appreciated like all the different kind of film techniques that went into like that mm-hmm. one like ending moment yeah we start getting some like different practical effects stuff like in the the and the, then this movie becomes a takes on some surreal elements um i would say would be another one kind of in the subgenre uh categories to put in is um you know this becomes like very fantastical once you know the the mirrors are melting and um just like everything it everything now is like attacking um but there there are some just really great scenes in this um i love um when um once linda becomes a deadite and kind of starts wreaking havoc and stuff because i love that Linda's wreaking havoc, and then while Cheryl is in the cellar, like hyping her up, <laughs> I think that's like so funny. That and in this movie, I forget like that this movie is just relentless screaming. Like after the the first thirty minutes is like you know everybody is like it's real quiet. They're not like listening to music or anything. They're like just chilling in the cabin. They do listen to the the recordings and stuff, but it's like kind of very quiet for the first thirty minutes. Uh, aside from like when we get like the kind of evil dead vision, uh, you know, rushing through the woods, it would kind of ramp up some sound, but it's very quiet. After the first 30 minutes or so, there is so much screaming. Just everyone, the deadites are screaming, Ash is screaming, Scott's screaming, everybody is screaming through this movie. And I, but I love it though. <laughs> it's true. I really, I do appreciate like you do get that quiet and every now and again, like, you know, once you do get to those those like almost nonstop screaming, I will say that like the use of silence is mm-hmm. really employed in interesting ways after like after like shit starts going off the rails and everybody's screaming, like you'll get these moments of just like very quiet, unnerving, mm-hmm. and then back to the screaming. Yep, yep. Like uh yeah, they definitely use the silence really well. Um the sound design and um the music and everything is, I think, my, one of my biggest strengths for this film. Um, but as much as there are a lot of, there's a lot of great scenes, and then of course there is the the controversial tree rape scene. I gotta, we gotta talk about it for a hot second. And the only reason uh, that I thought about on this most on this most rewatch because, like, you know, I get like it's supposed to this is like a turning point when it's like oh these guys are really fucked like there's some bad shit that's going down and it's you know it's very effective it's effective and um the performance in it is you know just like very terrifying what the the reason that it's gratuitous though you know and that's kind of where it gets a little bit of flack you know um because uh she didn't need to get all of her her clothes stripped off because what does a evil tree care about titties it shouldn't care about titties. So it's like, there's no reason for that, uh, for it to be just as uh, sexual as it is. But at the same time, like, I mean, I'm no, like, I'm not, like, squeamish to sexual violence in films or anything, or, like, one of the people I don't think it has its place, because it does. It just feels like, that's like, because this franchise isn't sexual, like, at all. Like, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's teens going to a cabin, they're couples, but it's like they're couples giving each other fucking magnifying glass necklaces and like being in love and like being real sappy. This movie's not very sexual. And that's like really the only like angle where it is in this film. That's true. I will say um, it, it feels weird to say I like that scene or I enjoy that scene, but I, I guess I do. I am a fan of like exploitation movies and. Mm. Um, I appreciate a certain amount of like gratuitousness and it's one of those things like I would never you know I would never like tell anybody how to feel about Mm. that scene it's just me personally like I remember um I remember seeing it for the first time and being like oh holy shit like that's really fucked up and I remember like that scene being one of the things that pulled me into the movie oh yeah Um, I mean, it's definitely iconic, and the the way that it is shot, like on the filmmaking 
uh, style is very great. Like it is just framed very well. It's very eerie. Um, the fog is ramped up and like the, the stop motion use of the branches and the way that twists. And like in, and I'm a big, like, cause like, I guess I don't get like scared in horror movies. I'm doing air quotes, but I, I seek scenes that make me, you know, feel uncomfortable. And like this film does like, and I'm a, I'm an imagery kind of person, just like the, the, the one shot of the branches spreading her legs. I'm just like, Oh God, you know, like, and it, 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 it's effective. It gets you almost every time. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, definitely one of the movies. It's like, I, I get what you mean. It's like, I like it. I don't like it, but I like it. Yeah, I I really appreciate that scene. I can certainly understand why somebody wouldn't. And I mean, in 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 interviews, you know, it was, um, you know, she she knew about most of it, and then like most of the stuff she said, it was you know filmed very um you know professionally and comfortably, and uh, she you know kind of was you know felt empowered in a way, um you know kind of afterwards, but it was like a lot of the stuff it was like you know done like in like post-production that like kind of like ramped up and then she was like oh this is like real intense but like she appreciates it so um all good in the hood as far as that goes um but yeah this the 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 movie it's again like we we have so many like iconic images that come from this movie um a lot of innovations oh what's up Oh, I was just going to say, um, worth mentioning, there is actually a pornographic version of Evil Dead called Evil Head. Yes! And uh, I <laughs> I think it's great. It's Burning Angel. Tommy Pistol plays Ash, and he's, he's actually really a fantastic Ash. Um, but one of the funny things I found about it is there's actually a consensual tree sex scene in the porno as opposed to a tree rape interesting (laughs) i will oh my god i did not know that that existed i'm happy it does i want to do a porn parody month on the podcast i think that'll be a lot of fun because porn fascinates me in a lot of ways so i want to dig into some of these horror porn parodies um so glad uh, that that exists (laughs) um before um we get to kind of more of the outro um, is there anything else that you just would love to shout out about this film? Uh, I, I would like to talk just very, very briefly about <clears throat> the fact that when they went to Tennessee to film this, it was supposed to be a six-week shoot. It ended up being twice that long. And because of that, they lost so many of their actors. Uh, and a lot of they had to get a lot of people to stand in. Um, mm-hmm. And in the Sam Raimi world is known as being a fake chimp, which is taken from the their Three Stooges inspiration. Uh, chimp Howard was uh, one of the Stooges, I think, before Curly and also after Curly. But he had made a bunch of... Um, films and then he suffered a heart attack and died and they were shooting these stooges films like all together in clumps and so they had i think it was like four films that they had to have somebody stand in for shimp howard and that person was known as the fake shimp and so sam raimi took this idea and and on almost all if not all of Sam Raimi's films you can see there's a credit to fake shimps who are the stand-ins for actors and stuff so you've got like Ted Raimi was a fake shimp in the first film um Rob Tappert was also also did some fake shimping um anyway that's one of my favorite like fun facts about Evil Dead and about Sam Raimi and I always like to bring it up (laughs) Yeah, it's it it's interesting because like if you notice at the end of the movie, you know, like you said, like the the credits, it's like you when you think about this movie, there's only five people, and then if you like watch the credits, and you're like, oh, there's like 25 names listed. You're like, who else was in this movie? And uh, yeah, from all the stand because again, like people were either injured or they were you know cold or whatever, what have you. Um, and again, it like kind of just like adds to that like camaraderie of like a you know like a it it takes a village mentality when it comes to doing these um you know smaller budget more guerrilla style filmmaking 
Yeah, this movie it's it's definitely it's very iconic in a, a you know in more ways than again like I said like what we see on screen obviously like we get a great you know um the 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 seeds of the great Bruce Campbell to come and you know establishing Ash as this character and establishing all the you know like you know baseline things of like what you're gonna get when it comes to Evil Dead movies. Um, you know we're gonna get deadites. People are gonna get their hands and uh, body parts chopped off. There's gonna be lots of blood. Uh, there's gonna be a book. There's gonna be an Ash flinging himself around. There's you know like the you this is establishes all those things. Um, and you know and it's such a you know enduring franchise as you know it's still you know I think technically still going. Like I know they've talked on and off about you know a sequel to the 2013 one. And there were some also, you know, deleted scenes from that 2013 one that kind of connect it even more into the franchise than it kind of does um, in its theatrical release version. Um, but we'll talk about more of that um, later throughout the month. Um, so to close out the episode, um, so I, I guessed it on the uh, Kicking and Screaming podcast um, over the summer and talked about the 2013 Evil Dead version. And we, we were kind of talking about how, like, why aren't there, you know, like, I, like, even though it's, like, great that the, the franchise has as many movies as it does, at least it got an original trilogy, it also seems like one of those movies that's just, like, how did it not have more sequels? And, like, even though I do love the, um, the Ash trilogy, it also could have, like, spun off into, like, its own, like, other trilogies, but, like, you know, the, the idea of Evil Dead, and I thought of, um, we talked about, why aren't there any holiday-themed Evil Dead movies? So, what holiday do you think would make for the best Evil Dead movie? Uh, probably inappropriate to say Arbor Day. Um, <laughs> I would say actually I would say Easter. I would I would not mind just like seeing uh like an Ash resurrected Jesus team up. Mm. To be honest, I would be into that. I mean it makes sense. Yeah, the the theme of resurrection and um you know coming coming undead and things of that nature is um definitely pretty integral to Evil Dead. So e- e- Easter dead. E- yeah. That's that's as good that one's gonna get, <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I was trying to, um, I was thinking St. Patrick's Day would be really fun because what makes for better slapstick comedy than a bunch of drunk people? So like a like Evil Dead like set in a pub somewhere. And it's like, you know, just like a few regulars like have to like because I work in a bar. So like I feel like this would be like, ooh, this I maybe I should do this as like a short film. I could film it in my bar. But anyways, um uh like I think it'd be really cool. Like uh Evil Dead breakout, like somebody um is, you know, they're chatting bar stories and then says, like, Oh, I hear about have you heard about the the Necronomicon? And he like start saying the riddles or what if there's a drunk shanty that is the evil dead incantations <laughs> um i think just a bunch of deadites in a bar uh with a bunch of drunk people sounds like a lot of fun i think that should be a thing i think you could really like ramp up the possibility for um accidental killings like somebody not realizing that somebody's just drunk instead of actually being a deadite exactly like it could be just so gratuitous and bloody and mean, but also fun. Like and you, there's so much opportunity for dark horror, uh, dark dark horror comedy, but then also um for the for the physical comedy as well. I mean, just people bumbling around, just like oh man, it'd be so much fun. And accidental killing is uh in theme. It was in Evil Dead too when she stabs um Jake. Mm-hmm. And then it was also in Within the Woods, the uh, short film that they made before Evil Dead. Um, I think Ellen Sandweiss stabs Scott Spiegel uh, mm. when, he, when he is, in fact, just coming through the door. I really should have watched the short film before we recorded this episode. I totally, I meant to, but I have not seen it Um but I you definitely... can find it on YouTube. It's like yeah. it's hard 
to see a lot of the stuff but some stuff really comes through and you can see like some stuff that is very much in like the first evil dead especially like you got the bench that's banging against the cabin Mm -hmm. that's there there's the same scene when um she's trying to come inside and she can't get the key to work and then just when she drops them the hand comes out and it's just somebody pulling her to safety uh oh yeah i'm definitely i'm gonna find it i will definitely be checking it out Um, But we are just getting started here with the Evil Dead franchise. I'm excited to continue on. But, Emily, this is your exit from the cabin. You are spared early. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, What are you working on and where can the people find you? Uh, I'm not working on too much of anything at the moment. Just uh, trying to get my psychology degree. And you can find me on Twitter at Emily Wolf. And... um, I am also a member of the Devil's Kettle High School Drama Club, and we do uh, horror reads uh, from famous horror scripts. I think our last one was The Thing, Um, and I got to be McCready with a beard. It was a lot of fun. Oh, Um, because did you guys, were you guys the, did you do an all-female version of it? It was not an all-female version, but it was mostly female version, I think. Okay, I might have I might have watched that one. I love watching uh, uh, table reads. Um, I, I've done a few of them with Scripps Gone Wild. They are so much fun. Uh, the last horror one I did was The Faculty, and that was a, a, a lot of fun. I did one of The Faculty. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a fun one. But The Thing would be a really fun one. I would want I want to do one in person of of The Thing, like maybe like host like a a table read because that's just like a really a fun one to do. Um, but that's so awesome, and I will definitely make sure to have links to all your social things in the bio. Um, but uh, reading from the Necronomicon, this podcast is back uh, from the dead, and I am super excited to get into more of the franchise uh, for the rest of October. Um, so that is what we have coming up. But that will go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Next week, we will be talking The Evil Dead 2 with my buddy Garrett McDowell. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that. Um, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Daddy Disco and the podcast at Bloody Blunt CC on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, guys, stay lifted.